welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia made news recently admitting he believed in the existence of not just God, but the devil as well. Predictably, ridicule poured out upon him as soon as the interview was published. Are we crazy to believe the devil exists? And if the devil does exist, what or who is it? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Unseen, with this message entitled, The Unseen Enemy. Thank you for joining us today. We're in a series, and the series is entitled, The Unseen. If you're new with us this week, we just started it last week, we looked at the unseen world. During that time, I tried to lay a kind of a, a foundation, a basis for the importance of embracing the realities of the unseen. And so we talked about the unseen world. We looked at the angelic beings, both good and evil, tried to understand just some broad stroke understandings of the existence. I shared at that time, and I underscore again now, how important it is, my job is to awaken many of us. There are many of us who, even as Christians, have lived the last weeks, months, years of our lives as if there were no unseen world out there. Uh, We live as Christians, living life day in and day out. Never a thought, is there something beyond what I can see with my naked eye? Is there anything there that is having an influence on me, on my children, on the life that we live? And without that understanding, we are walking into the world in a very dangerous way. Now, I want you folks here to know that as we deal with issues of the unseen, and this week we're dealing with the unseen enemy, the evil one, the devil himself, Satan as he is known, uh, this is not a, a... super sensational type of, you know, church where we're always into the weird and the wild. Not at all. If you know me, I'm a math major and I want evidences. And we're not a, you know, there's a, a demon behind every bush and everything's accounted for by some demonic da-da-da. Not that at all. But folks, on the other hand, we don't want to be to the extreme where you say, hey, you know, what is, is, what, you know. No, no, it's real. It is very real. For that reason, particularly today as we talk about the unseen enemy, I want to pause and let's pray and let's ask God. Father, would you join us here and would you be the, the source of our understanding and truth? Would you guide us into truth from your word to believe that which you have declared to be so? And would you open our eyes in the appropriate way that we may see and understand? Grant it, we ask, in the name of Jesus, amen. He's got a lot of different names, evil one, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the king of Tyre, angel of light, the dragon, a lot of different names in Scripture given to this one that we often think of as Satan. That's the name we use most often as Satan. Who is this individual? What is he like? Is there really the unknown as we know it? Some of you may have, some of you may have read this week uh, an interview with uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia who um, 
in the New York Magazine was being interviewed about, uh, um, well, I'm going to read a little bit of it here. Check, check this with me. The question is asked, do you believe in heaven and hell? The response, well, of course I do. Don't you believe in heaven and hell? Can we talk about your drafting process? He leans in, whispers, I even believe in the devil. You do? Of course. Yeah, he's a real person. Have you ever seen evidence of the devil himself? Well, you know, it's curious. In the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot, and that doesn't happen very much anymore. No, it's because he's smart. So what's he doing now? What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or in God. He's much more successful that way. Isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? You're looking at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so, so removed from the mainstream America that you are appalled that anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. And so great conversation there that uh, just kind of gives a, 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 the reality of the day. What? You believe in the devil? Well, yeah, I believe in the devil. Well, well, what do you believe in? What do I believe? Well, it's time we get to know, well, what does the Bible say? What does God have to say about this one called the devil? I know the differing responses. There are some here that are in disbelief even right now. I know that. From last week, I know that. There's some just, uh, I don't buy it. It's, you know, if so, it's, little, it's Dante's, uh, you know, turn of the 13th century type image of a, a little red-figured individual that has a pointed tail and a pitchfork and so forth. Well, that's okay. Some, some will, will say that. Probably the most of us here would be people who say we believe. Unfortunately, there would be a but that would follow if reality were spoken. But I don't ever think about it much, and it doesn't really affect me much, and I, you know, I don't really see evidences, and I don't know, but it's, uh, I believe it, but. And then there would be those that would say it is very real. A young lady that I was asked by a family in the city to, that I was living in, I was working with young adults. The family asked me if I would meet with a young lady who was, uh, was raised in a home with a father who was, well, let me put it this way. He was a warlock. He was a warlock, and his wife was a witch, and they would identify themselves as such. And this family that I'm talking to is a very, very highly respected, intelligent, wonderful family. And they said, Randy, you just won't believe what this family, I mean, it's, it's, it's unusual what's happening. You need to, you need to meet with their daughter. If we set it up, would you meet with her? I said, I'd be happy to. I did meet with her, and as I'm meeting with her, I never forget, we're, we're together, and I began to hear voices come from this girl that were involuntary. They weren't, weren't, weren't her. 
I left that night, and I'll tell you the end of the story later, but I left that night, and I said, oh, there is something real here. Now, that was probably the first encounter that I'd ever had that began to underscore in my mind the reality that there is something very, very real. What we read in Scripture seems so distant, so far away. We don't see so much. Then I go overseas. I can remember what I saw in, a, in an underground church in, uh, in Iran. Oh, my goodness. You were there, you wouldn't doubt anything. You'd say, whoa, what is that? Said, That's what you see in the Bible. That's what most peoples of the world see more than you and me. But, golly, I think it's pretty, rough, pretty on target there. Oh, we're, a, we're, a, we're people that are so educated. Best way to reach us is just not even to think it exists. So, different views. And I know that there are different requests that you have. Some of you have requested uh, no stories, Randy. The stories scare me. Um, <laughs> please, no stories. And there are others of you that are saying, give us more stories. Give us more stories. I'm going to be careful what stories I do give. I will assure you I will not tell you all the stories that I have. Some would not be appropriate probably here to share. But I have to make a judgment what I share and what I don't share. If you want more, all you got to do is go to Google. Look at the first 10 of 3 million plus different sites you can find that have to do with the devil. And you just look in at demonic encounter and see what you see. You'll get plenty of stories. I know this. We all differ. <laughs> I got a letter. I was teaching on this subject matter years ago, and I got a letter, very pretty mean letter, and it was, it was criticizing me for being critical of Satan. <laughs> if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> you just never know what you're going to hear. So anyway, with all that said, I want us all to investigate the unseen. That's my job to help equip you to that end and how particularly to deal with the issues related to the realities. And we're going to do that as the series continues. Parents, let me encourage you, be careful. For your children's sake, learn, get to know, understand, know how to pray. Because there is a real world. I just talked to someone after the first service and uh, a teacher in the school, and she says, oh, my goodness. And she started telling stories and some things that were as extreme and, 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 and I think very real. And I know the person that was talking to me. I have no question of the, the uh, correctness of what she was saying. And she said, you got to watch out. These, these kids are getting into satanic stuff. It's all kind of stuff. And it's groups that are under the allegiance and vowed allegiance of Satan. So be careful for their sake. Get to know and understand. We're all affected. Listen to Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest commentators of Scripture in uh, the last generation prior to us. But I'm telling you, just unbelievable, respected uh, teacher of God's Word. He says, the modern world, and especially the history of the present century, can only be understood in terms of the unusual activity of Satan and the principalities and powers of darkness. Much that, possesses among, that passes among Christians as psychological problems is essentially spiritual and due to a lack of spiritual understanding. 
Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a, a very quick uh, biography of Satan. I'm going to do it under five headings, the first three of which are going to be something you understand. Most of you probably are aware of. I want to cover it very quickly because it's it, most of it old stuff. Maybe number three we turn into a little bit where, hmm, wasn't quite sure of that. Number four is going to be new to many, many, many of you, unless you've heard it taught here before. And then number five is the point that we really are trying to get to because we want to understand more. How does this impact us on a day-to-day basis? So let's look at number one very quickly. Satan was created as a sinless angel named Lucifer and lived in the presence of God. Not a lot of biblical literature that tells about Satan prior to his demise of, of sin, but uh, Ezekiel 28, 11, beginning in 11, tells us a little bit. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were the anointed a cherubim who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In Isaiah 14, we hear that he's named Lucifer at that time, meaning the bright and morning star. Uh, He is described in this way, without reading all the text, sophisticated, intelligent. Uh, He's creative. He's beautiful. He's powerful. Now, hearing those words, men, when you hear your wife say, you're the devil, she's not using those terms to describe you, I'll assure you. (laughs) This is before he went into sin. And you being after sin, she probably had some other ideas in mind. But uh, understand, a beautifully you know, uh, talented, creative. I mean, this is the best of the best of the best of God's creation. No sin, just all these incredible qualities and characteristics. But all that's going to change, obviously. I said it last week, for you that weren't there, hear it now. He is not, though. He is not omni-anything. He's not omnipresent He's not omnipotent, powerful. He's not omniscient, doesn't have all knowledge. So please don't credit too much to him. Number two, Satan rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. All right, so he rebels. Ezekiel 28, 17, it's in the midst of a longer passage. I just pull out verse 17, says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. This is referring to Satan. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Let me read it. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to shale, to the recesses of the pit. So know this, he is not consigned to hell as Dante has presented that he would be. I mean, say, God is in heaven and the devil's in hell. No, the devil's on earth. That's where he has been consigned for this time, but now will later be consigned 
at that place. He is called the ruler of the world now. He is called the prince of the power of the air. He is called the God of this age. So it gives you a little bit about his fall now and how he is at this point. Now we turn to number three. We start turning the curve of our understanding here. Prior to Christ's death, Satan deceived the nations and accused believers before God. And there are the key words, deceived and accused. We need to know that this is the work of the evil one. He had the privilege and right after he has been cast down from heaven and consigned to earth, he is given, as a vicegerent, he is given the reign and rule of his kingdom. That is made up of all the people who are not in the kingdom of God. So he has his own kingdom, and God has his kingdom. Now, God could take that kingdom away, but he's chosen to give it to him. You remember during the temptations of Jesus in the garden. He came to Jesus as if to say, I have so much, and I can make you, and I can give you, and I can allow you. And he was right because he was talking about in the realm of his kingdom. So he had his kingdom, and he has his kingdom. At that particular time, he was giving, given in his kingdom by God, he was permitted to deceive all the nations save one, not Israel. Now, that didn't mean that all of Israel were followers of Jehovah. They didn't put their trust in Messiah. But it was only the peoples of Israel. And some unique situations where people were brought in and so forth outside of being naturally Israelites. But it was the people of Israel who could come under his leadership, the domain of God. Every other nation, not so. In the Psalms, in Psalm 2, it tells us that uh, God is speaking of his son, saying, I will give to you the nations. It's a promised inheritance. He says, there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. They will all come be yours one day, Lord Jesus. But, my son, it's coming. It's not now. And that's why we understand that he could deceive all of the nations, and he did so. Look at Acts 14, 16. Luke commenting on this says, in generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. But that's all going to change. But let's look at the second thing he could do. Not just deceive, but he could accuse the brethren. In Revelation 12.10, we read these words. He is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. Now that's interesting. He's actually referring to the episodes of the Old Testament. You know the story of Job. If you've read the story, you know that Job, who went and encountered all of the pain and the hardships and the losses, was allowed by God to do what he did. But he had to go to God for permission for that. He is literally standing before God and having a conversation as it's recorded. And he has the opportunity then. This guy says, okay, you can do this, you can do that. Now you can't do this, but you can do that. And so with that, he could, he could accuse as he would be in front of the, of the father. He could actually accuse Job. And anybody else, he could accuse them before God in this regard. He could say, God, I know that you say that's your family member, that this is your child. 
But I remind you that their redemption has not been accomplished. And you know, in his mind, he's thinking, and it's not going to be accomplished. And he even has a plan, as we know, through Herod, when the baby Jesus is born to kill Jesus so that this could not, never even happen. Because until then, he could accuse and say, you're not really a believer because uh, your child so-and-so is not really yours because he's never, never had redemption applied to his life, meaning there not been a savior to do so. So he could deceive all the nations. He could accuse. In that condition, let me say this, that you and I as Gentiles, we'd never understand the things of God. Those of us that are Christians, nope, something had to change. And that's where we come to the fourth point. This is where we get into a very challenging group of scriptures. And I'm going to ask you to hang with me here, but I think I can make it clear enough. It goes like this. When Christ died, Satan was defeated and stripped of previous realms of authority. Now, if you want to understand this important fourth point in the best way I could imagine, the, the, what I would encourage you to do, you get a book. You, you, you buy a book called More Than Conquerors by William Hendrickson. You'll understand the whole of this portion that I'm teaching and, and really all of Revelation as a result of, of really reading this man. I think the best there is. I can't imagine anybody any better in this, in this subject matter. But I want to put forth to you a story in Revelation 12. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Before I go into this text, though, before it's shown on the screen, I want to explain it to you in this way. What we're going to read now is of a woman. And the woman is about to have a male child. And the male child is going to have a dragon try to destroy his life. But before he can destroy his life, the male child will be taken up and will be delivered from the dragon. And the woman is now going to have to flee because the dragon says, I didn't get your child, but I'll get you. And so the mother has to flee into the wilderness and to hide for a certain period of time. You may already be picking up a little bit of the story. Read it, as we read it, keep this in mind. The woman is the church. The child is Jesus. The dragon is Satan. The being caught up is the ascension, the resurrection and ascension. And then the time period is going to be 1,260 days, and I can make a strong convincing argument that that's the period between the first and second coming of Jesus. Now, did you understand kind of the, the story here? It's a story of a child about to be born. Dragon's going to try to destroy. The mother gives birth. The child is taken up. The mother now has to run for her life. And she has to hide in the wilderness. And that is the story of the church giving birth to Jesus, Satan trying to take the life, the resurrection, and now 
the church being persecuted for a period of time till Jesus comes back. Let's read it now in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 12, beginning verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, if you will, I want you to keep reading with me in the same text. We're going to pick up now in verse 7. Notice what happens. And there was war in heaven. This is not the war where we talked about in Isaiah and Ezekiel where where Satan is thrown to the earth. This is a different war, and it's well understood when you read this. There was another war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Remember how the devil could be before the father? The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and I want you to remember that word, thrown down, critically important word, thrown down, the serpent of old, old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Hold it right there. We'll take you right back to this one. I heard a loud voice in heaven, now the salvation. Well, what is that? Now salvation. Now power. Remember Jesus? All authority has been given to you. Wow. And the kingdom of our God. Don't forget that little phrase. The kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now you keep going. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. There it is. Thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Now this is going to be important. Let me, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. That tells you this is the crucifixion time. And because of the word of their, that is Christian's testimony, and they did not love their life even when they faced it with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, interesting words, thrown down, thrown down, thrown down. This is where this really comes alive. If you are reading through the scriptures and you're seeing in the gospels the teaching of Jesus, you would see Jesus saying, kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And there are about five texts where he says something about the kingdom of God that, that almost makes you think, what's he talking about? The first is in Mark 1 where he says the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Oh, so the kingdom of God must not be here yet. Hmm. Mark 9, 1 reads like this. Put it up on the text. Jesus was saying to them, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come in power. Oh, that means there are people alive today where the kingdom of God's not come who will still be alive and the kingdom of God will have come. Pretty interesting. Then you've got the story in Mark 15 of the, the story of Joseph of Arimathea who took the body of Jesus. And it says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he anticipated this kingdom of God to come. Interesting. Then I want you to look at these two verses because you're going to see the same word thrown down. It's the same exact Greek word, though it might use a different word. And I'll show you. Luke 10. Look at this. Seventy disciples have gone out and they've been serving Jesus. And they come back and say, wow, Jesus, look what's happened. Even the even the evil spirits are subject to your name when we use it. What's happening? He says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, yep, I know. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's the same word thrown down we read in Revelation. Hmm. Or look at uh, John 12, 31. Now, Jesus says, now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's the word thrown down. He has been thrown down. What does that mean? That means, one, he can never again deceive all the nations. He's going to be released for a short period. I'm not going to that. But he, he, can't, he can't deceive us now as all the nations. That means you and I as Gentiles have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to be able to embrace it. Does that not say to you and me, Christian, that we ought to go out to our peers, whether Jewish or Gentile or whatever, and say, look, there is a good news out there that you need to know about and to know that whoever they are and wherever they are, they can become real followers. I mean, the news is too good to, uh, not to, to carry through with. It's, you see, the reality is, is that now the kingdom of God has come. Now authority has been given to us. So now we no longer can be accused, not before the Father, because now our redemption has been applied. And now we take a text like Romans 8 where it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? You tell me, who can even say one thing before God against you or me? And there's nobody. There is nothing. We stand before him as his righteous and righteousness, and he says, uh-uh, not now, because my son has accomplished redemption. The evil one has been thrown down. There will be no one even to tickle the ears of the Holy One to say, oh, but him, oh, but she, and look what she did. Now, what he can do is this. He can come to you and me and say, you sorry, no good, you're not worthy. You're... He can accuse us. And that's why we have to know how we stand before our Father. And if we understand our identity with Him, then when we hear the accusation, we go, uh-uh, not buying it. Yes, I was wrong, but I'm redeemed. And you go before the Father in repentance. Kind of like a movie ever, or, or a ball game. You ever watch a, a movie or a ball game that looks like the ending is going to be horrible and uh, maybe the ball game you won and you know you won it, but you watch it again and you sit there and you go, oh my goodness, go 
You know, what am I doing here? Why am I so nervous? I've already won. It's no big deal. So that takes us to number five very quickly. Satan now roams the earth seeking as a lion those he can devour. And that comes out of 1 Peter 5, 8. There was D-Day in World War II. Many of you know this. D-Day, June 6, 1944. At that time, World War II was won by the Allies. It was given. That was done. The, the war was won now. But, you know, there was a VE day that was to come. And that day was a day that all battles stopped. Do you know they say that there were more casualties in the period between D-Day and VE day than there was prior to D-Day? They say the reason is because the enemy, the Germans were so ticked at what had happened and so mad they were enraged they were defeated but they fought viciously until ve day and we got a ve day coming it's the second coming of jesus but we've got a period between the time the war has been won that was at the cross of calvary it was won there are battles to keep going there's the one that's roaming to, as to see who he could devour but now we have to ask the question as Christians, now, so how am I going to handle this? Am I going to be afraid when I go to bed at night? Am I going to say, oh, they're, they're de- oh I didn't know. Gosh, what what? No. No, let me tell you. We are protected. We have authority. And we have a promise that is given of God that is an incredible promise. James 4, 9, and it goes like this. Let's read it. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. There's the promise. Now, you got to keep with the whole series because right now what I'm having to teach is let's make sure we understand why he will flee. We won't believe he will flee when we resist him if we don't believe that there's great cause that he would flee. Now, we're going to get in next week to the schemes and strategies of the evil one. So we'll understand his ways. Then we're going to have to learn how do we resist. But to just lay the foundation right now, know this, that we are in a great place in that we have been given, we have been given authority, we have been given power to overcome temptation, and we don't ever need to say, oh, no, I'm scared of the devil. Respect his power. Respect what he can do. But understand who you are in your redemption, Christian, and what we've got to be able to stand up. I I like to think of it this way. Satan is defeated. You and I are empowered, and therefore, we are protected, period. People have asked, are you scared to do the series now? Do you think you're going to be? Well, I don't know what. I know this, though. If God, uh, if it happens, if something happens to me because I'm doing a series like this, or to you for whatever you're doing to be faithful to God. I'll tell you this, it's gone right through the loving hands of an almighty God who says, you go ahead. But I'll tell you this, I'll work everything together for good, and not just for himself, but for you or me. That's the great news. We have that hope and that confidence. I like the words of Lloyd-Jones again. He says... One of our main troubles is that the devil tends to terrorize us and to frighten us and to produce in us a feeling of hopelessness. It is not a hopeless battle. It is possible for the Christian 
It is possible for the Christian so to resist the devil as to cause him to flee. I was meeting with this young lady. The young lady was hearing the gospel as I was walking through the gospel of salvation, how she could know Christ and be a different person. And as we're talking, I heard this voice coming out of her. I saw her face, a face of yes, yes, I want it, yes, yes. And I hear this voice coming out with a very eerie sound and noise and what it was, it was just like, until finally I said, why are you, why are you doing this, acting like you're interested in, in making these sounds that you're making? And my suspicion was validated when she said, it's not me at all. I'm not doing that. Immediately, man, I tell you, I got a little nervous there. I'm going, oh, my goodness. This is what you read about. This is what you hear about. And I remember I finished the gospel, and the noise kept coming. I finished the gospel, and I said, I need to know, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And she looked at me, and she said, I do. I wouldn't normally have done this, but I said, in light of what was happening, I said, I want us to get on our knees to pray. I said, are you willing? She said, yes, I want to. And so I got up off my chair, and I got on my knees, and I looked over at her, and I saw her getting up and then being thrown back real hard. And she'd move up, and she'd be thrown back real hard. And I said, what are you doing? She says, I can't get up. Something's holding me. I can't get up. And not knowing much, as a young, in my travels as a, as a you know, Christian pastor leader, I said, in the authority and by the name of Jesus Christ, get up right now. And I'm telling you, it was like she was unbuckled, and she came down to her knees, and she bowed and received Jesus. She's married to a pastor to this day. Her life changed, radically changed. Ask her if she thinks there's an evil one. But we need to ask ourselves, is the evil one having his way in our own lives? And what should we be doing to resist? You hang in the series. Seeker, seeker. You need to be in a kingdom that's a better kingdom than where you are. There's a kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this God, he will satisfy but you got to see his love. Go to the cross. See why he died. And ask him that that redemption, that purchase for life would be applied to you. And you'll know you've come to know him when you start following him and fall in love with him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray as we continue this series that you would open our eyes and hearts that we might understand and embrace the truth and that we might find the great hope that we have knowing that now the kingdom of God has come. Now the authority has been given to us, all authority given to us, and we are grateful. May we use the power, may we use that love that we embrace from you to turn around to a world in need and tell them the good news of the gospel. I pray for any here that have never surrendered the heart, may they let this be the beginning of a pilgrimage to you to fall in love with you. We ask it all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.